the very great privilege this morning of introducing um, to you our uh, one of three super regional leaders in the Vineyard USA. John Elmer is here with us today, so we just want to welcome you and thank you for coming. Uh, years ago, and many, many churches after that. He's been involved in regional work with the Vineyard in lots of different ways. Um, and I, we have a small connection, which is that in 2018, before I even knew I was going to be the pastor here at the Vineyard or anything, um, I was kind of just calling around different denominations and ended up talking to a Vineyard pastor in Maine, who then said, you should talk to John Elmer, who's a New York guy over in the region of New York. And so I remember calling John, and he said... Well, we're about to have our regional conference in Syracuse. You want to come on me, just be our guest? And we were like, sure, let's go. So Paul and I hopped in the car, drove to Syracuse, went to the regional conference, and got a whole introduction to the vineyard. It was amazing and wonderful. Uh, it wasn't quite God's time for us to jump yet, so we just thought, okay, well, that's interesting. I socked it away, and now a few years later, here we are. So I just love that we have that little connection yeah. from a few years ago that God was working uh, in advance. So I just would like to just pray a blessing over John as he begins to read the word to us today. Lord, would you come and send your Holy Spirit upon the words of this servant of yours, Lord. Would you anoint them and just quicken them to our hearts, Lord, and help us to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Beth. Yeah, thank you. It's so great to be here. Um, I, I, what, a, what a great place, man. It's a it's a very cool building, a beautiful building, but but even more so. It seems like a really beautiful congregation. I love the 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 church under a bridge thing you guys are going to be doing, and you know, Afghan family, and, and working on growing more diverse. I mean, you guys are doing the stuff. Yeah, what a great, beautiful church. I'm so glad to be here and get to hang out with you. And I, I love uh, Southern hospitality. I come here to preach, and you guys. Make the temperature the same here in Greensboro as in Syracuse this morning. Thank you so much. I feel so at home. Cold fingers, nippy ears. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I want to talk about uh, kingdom relationships today. And I, I want to preach on this because um, I'm good at it. In fact, let me give you an example, right? I just... I got this letter, and I, I grabbed it on my way out when I was coming down here, because I thought, oh, listen, she was from my neighbor. And I got it, and I, I said, man, this really fits in. He, he wrote me this personal letter, which people don't do anymore, you know? But he, he, I, I want to read it to you, just kind of show what kind of relationships I've been building in my life. Dear John, you know, we've been neighbors for six years and have developed many memories. Remember when you borrowed my snowblower and returned it broken? <laughs> or when I was sick and you blasted classic rock from your deck? When your dog went to the bathroom on my lawn and you just laughed? Oh, good times. <laughs> I could go on, but I'm not one to hold grudges. Since we are friends, I'm writing this letter to you to let you know your house is on fire. <laughs> Relationships. You know, they can be really difficult, um, but they're great, and they're great. Uh, here's my first point I want to talk about. We are made for community. You know, the more we live in the kingdom, as kingdom people, the more we become all that we're meant to be. And part of that is 
A big part of that is to have healthy relationships. We're made for relationships. We, we need relationships. It's our bed to have relationships. It's, it's we all want friends. We, we dream of having great connections with, with maybe a spouse or our kids or parents or the people at work or in our school. We, we long for these kinds of relationships. It's how we were created. You know, you just go right back to Genesis, right? And here's the, the creation story. God has created everything up, right? And then he's ready for humanity, and he says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He made us in his image. That we're a reflection of who he is. We're an echo of his very being. And, and, and so this, it, that has all kinds of implications. But one of the great things is, is that God is all about community. That he is the center of relationship. For eternity before, he was in perfect relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three, this perfect, unified, wonderful, life-giving relationship. And sometime in history, he, and sometime before time, he wants to create and expand that. And he creates humanity. And we know this about God, that in forever, eternity, it's going to be Father, God, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, along with humanity, we've all connected with Jesus in perfect community forever. Yeah. He loves community. You know, you look at um, chapter 2 of Genesis, that gives us a, a little more detail about this creation of, of man and women. And, and he, um, you know, he makes Adam... And he places them in the garden. And, and just think about it, right? Adam is this, the prototype of humanity, of men. He, he's like this, this perfect, healthy being. He's, I mean, he, he must have been like chiseled, you know? I imagine Adam looked a lot like me, right? He <laughs> stuck. And he could look at big balls. Just wonderful. And, and then there's Adam, and he's put into the, the Garden of Eden. Basically, paradise, right? And all the trees have fruit, and it's sweet and ripe. And, 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 and you know, the animals all get along, and there's no danger. This temperature must be a perfect temperature, I would guess. The mosquitoes don't bite yet. It's before the fall, right? Everything's going cool. <coughs> it's not COVID. I got a head cold. So I just want you to know I tested negative, okay? Um, and talk about spiritual life. Adam's walking in the cool of the evening, engaging with God. As, you know, I don't know how good your devotions are, but I don't think mine are as good as Adam hanging out with God in the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, that's really good. Whatever he touches was successful. 
Yeah, there's no curse. Yeah, yeah. God looks down at Adam in that place. After he's done all these things, you know, he made, he made the heavens and the earth. Yeah, this is good. And, and, and the sun and the moon, it, it is good. And the stars, it is good. And the plants, it is good. And then, you know, the animals, he says, it is good. And then he looks down at Adam and this, this, this wonderful body, this beautiful paradise that has this intimate relationship. He looks down at Adam and says, it is not good. The first time God said, it is not good that we have recorded was at Adam in this place. It is not good for man to be alone. We have been created for community. It's deep in our heart. It's in our very essence. It's because we're in the reflection of God, we need healthy, good community. We long for it. Amen. And she says, I will make a suitable helper for him. Made for community. We do best in it. Amen. It's in the scriptures. It's in science research. You know, one thing I love about the Bible is it's true. Yeah. And, and, and every time they research these principles from the Bible, they find out it's true. Amen. This thing that we're made for community is true. Stuart Gresson, a psychologist and former faculty member at Harvard Medical School, has interviewed hundreds of prisoners in solitary confinement. In one study, he found that roughly a third of solitary inmates were actively psychotic or, and or actively suicidal. You see, solitary confinement is the, the exact opposite of what we're created for. And it would drive people literally crazy to the point of wanting to kill themselves. In one study, well, excuse me, says he has since concluded that solitary confinement, being away from community, can cause hallucinations, panic attacks, overt paranoia, diminished uh, impulse control, hypersensitivity to external stimuli, and difficulties with thinking, concentration, and memory. Relationships is what we've been made for. Relationships are key to happiness. There's this other study that Harvard University, you know that, that bastion of Christian truth? Not just but the more they find out, it aligns with the Bible, right? They did a 72-year study. That was like 10 years before I was born they started studying. And they track what really makes human beings happy, as best they could figure it out. The, long, the study's longtime director, George Vallant, when asked what had been learned, answered poignantly, the only thing that really matters in life, after 72 years study, this was his conclusion, the only thing that really matters in life 
are your relationships to other people. In the last two decades, scientists have discovered that this truth is even wired into our brains as neuroscience has developed and grown. Researcher Daniel Goleman summarizes it this way. The most fundamental revelation of the discipline of neurobiology is that we are wired to connect. We are made for community. Because we are made in the image of God. And in the image of God, when we flow in the kingdom of God, we, 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 we will produce healthy community. They, the neuroscience has discovered that our brain's very design makes it sociable, drawn into an intimate brain-to-brain link-up whenever we engage with another person. Your, your, your mind is made for, we're made for community. We desperately need it. You know, that is why. Think about this. This could make, make blow your brain a little bit. That is why we allow ourselves to get into such unhealthy relationships. Because we're so desperate for community, for connection, for depth of intimacy. That will we'll give our bodies away when it's inappropriate. We, we will we'll allow ourselves to be put in a, a relationship that is abusive and hurting. But it's better than nothing. We've done incredibly crazy things in our life for community because we so are made for it. We're willing sometimes to put up a terrible community just to have something. The second key point is this. Relationships centered around Jesus are best for us. Our lives are better the deeper we're connected with Jesus. Relationships are key in that, to help that. You know, the uh, the early church understood this, this value of community. Being led by the Spirit, they were led into a depth of community. A true kingdom faith is explored and advanced in community. Now, I know you've been doing a study on the book of Acts. And, and you know, you start out in Acts with the church in Jerusalem. My goodness, that, that church knew a little bit about community. That's why it flipped a city the size of Jerusalem. Think of the context, right? Jesus comes, this wandering preacher who claims to be the Messiah, he brings signs and wonders to prove that he's the Son. He points to and acknowledges he's going to be put to death, dies on the cross, but rises from the dead. God in flesh, come to redeem us. He sends, he, he releases that, he goes to heaven, releases the Holy Spirit onto the church. And I know in all these weeks you've been talking about some of these things at will. And, and as the Holy Spirit is released and empowered, they become this community of people, the most diverse community on the planet at that time. People from everywhere. People speaking all different languages. It's the size that never had rich and poor together, rich and poor together. 
that didn't see men and women equal, they were there together equal. It was an incredible community, the most diverse, the most powerful. And they have this deep impact on the city because they're moving in the kingdom. Now, I want to tell you this, too. You guys can have that kind of impact at Greensboro. I mean, the church starts in one place, but it, when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, when, when it does justice, when it cares for the poor, when it is a sign of community that is shocking to everybody else, it can transform a city. You know, Greensboro's not that much different size-wise and all of that, those kind of things in Syracuse. There's, there's a fair amount of similarities. I like our weather better, thank you very much. <laughs> I do in the summer when you guys are sweating your eyes out. And we were just a church plant, just a start of a group of five of us with a vision and call that God gave us. And you know, we actually have impacted Syracuse. Not because not we were so good or so smart. The longer I talk, the more you'll realize I'm not that smart. You know? But we were a group of people that really did love each other and care for each other. And we figured we, we really impacted our city. You know, George Barnard, this researcher, would used to, I don't know if he even still does, but he used to rank cities in, in, the, in how uh, Christianized they were, how, how Christian city was. He did it by, how, by research of how many people read their Bible, went to church, there's different factors. And, and Syracuse, in our early years, was the 11th most non-Christian city, according to George Barnum, in the U.S. And uh, we're still number one in the amount of snow we got. And um, then he came out with a study. He did this every so often. And that was a handful of years later. And our church was there when we planted when that first one came out. And, and then, you know, we'd grown and we started impacting. And you know, we started doing, we, I think at that point, we started a multi-site. And, and, and Syracuse kind of went up to like 31. And then, and then the last one, we were like the 41th most unchristian city in the country. Now, that's significant in, in, in my little eyes. Like, wow, we went from 11th to 41st. Something was happening. Now, we, we grew a lot during that season. It wasn't just us. Other churches were doing lots of good stuff, too. But the point was, we and some other churches really influenced our city. Amen. And transformed things. You all can do that. You all, I sound like a slugger, didn't I? Yeah, that's pretty good. I gotta say all longer, don't I now, right? Help me with that. You can change the city. This ragtag group in Acts changed the city, right? But so here they are, they're impacting the city. And, and in the book of Acts, every once in a while they'll have these summaries of basically what's going on. 
And, and in Acts 2.42 is a summary of the church. Listen to this summary. You'll understand why they turned Jerusalem up on its side. A city of over a million people. A city of the, the center of the, the Jewish world. The key city in Palestine. A city that was important to the Romans. Here's why they did it. It said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They have devoted themselves to the word of God. To the scriptures, to the truth that God has given us. And this, this, this the, the, the teaching of the apostles, that, that's about of, of the word of God. This is it. We need to hang on to this. We need to learn this. And embrace it. Live it. Practice it. We need to let this be our guide. Not some talking head, some political circle, not, not, not some uh, office talk around the water cooler, but the Word of God. And when we do this, it's going to transform us. It's going to make us stand out. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be challenging. But it is going to be wonderful for us. They devoted themselves. They were committed to it. They were passionate for it. The Word of God, or the Apostles' teaching, and to fellowship. You know, fellowship is just kind of a fancy word for friendship, for deep relations. For, they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to, to, to building real community, to caring for each other, for loving each other, even at times when they didn't like each other. They had this, 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 this commitment that rocked the Roman world in a world that you only had that for your family. They said, wait a minute, the church is our family. In fact, our enemies, we will love them. But they were devoted to the community of faith. It wasn't something they just kind of did on weekends where you got the extra hour sleep or, you know, okay, the weather's okay, I'll go. Devoted each other. To the breaking of the bread, that could be interpreted lots of ways. One of the ways you can look at it is is to, you know, communion, kind of the remembrance of the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And to prayer. There are church that prayed. Prayed together. And prayer is so, so incredibly powerful. Prayer does things. We don't even realize. You're, you're like calling down the presence of of God, you're stirring him up. That that prayers have changed God's given you know, the course of humanity throughout history. History belongs to the intercessors. I've heard someone say, "There's great power in it." Yes, you know, I, I told you about what happened to Syracuse. Do you know? At one time, I'm, I love my. I'm in love with my. I love it. I love FU. I, I, I love the change of the seasons. I love the people. I love the attitude. I love the grit. I love the broken down buildings, the, the failing infrastructure. I love it. <laughs> and you watch, FU football is going to win the ACC this year. Okay? I just feel it in my heart. Don't laugh too hard. Okay, that's hurtful. Um, so we love our city. 
And we chose, we said, we're going to try to prayer walk on every street in our county. And we started doing it. And we had this big map, and we mapped it all out. I literally, just myself, I prayed on every city, every street. I walked and prayed. And I just said, pray for God's peace. Pray for the coming of his kingdom. Pray for whatever you see in God's senses. Pray for certain houses, whatever. I personally prayed for a whole city. I prayed for a whole suburb of Camillus, a whole suburb of, of, of Geddes. I, I prayed for part of Liverpool. I prayed part of DeWitt. I prayed part of Salina. I was, I was all over. And then the rest of the church was praying as well. It took us like six months to, to cover this map. But that was a season too. In that and after that, so we just saw our church grow. We saw, you know, Barna's rankings go changing. These guys are devoted to prayer. Prayer makes things happen. Prayer changes relationships. When we're praying together, it's hard to be pissed off at each other. Because you're crying out for the same thing. You're looking to God instead of at the offense that just is so little compared to what God's done. So they were devoted to all those things. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I think these things, devoted to the word of God, devoted to community, to, devoted to, 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 to living on, remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus, devoted to prayer, all those things release power and signs and wonders happen. Then it gets a little deep on what the family and community was like. All believers, it means everybody, first row, last row, once a month, every day, everybody was together. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Do you imagine the depth of trust that was going on there? Do you imagine having the kind of depth of community where I give Beth my, my, my ATM card and tell her my code is one, two, three, I'm not telling you? No. <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah, everything was shared. Hey, my key is under the, under, under the, the mat. No one's ever thought of that. It's under there. Okay. <laughs> Here's the it was complete, communal, open-handed living. There's so much trust and love and concern. You know, I've done that with my kids. I, that's challenging to do with the whole church. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Man, you really, you lost your job because of your faith? You just came from Afghanistan and you're, you, you, you may, maybe they come to faith and something, you need something? All right, we'll, we'll sell one of the family cars. We'll sell both of them. We'll start taking the bus. Oh, wow. You know what? Let's sell that TV. 
We don't need to watch that much. I mean, that's what they were doing. They showed everything to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, the temple courts were big. It's a temple, you know, Solomon's temple here. And it was huge. And they all got together. We know the church was, you know, a mega church at this point. 5,000 plus. I mean, there are 3,000 people, right? That men, I think it says, that got converted on the day of Pentecost. They had about 120 there before that. Who knows how many women and children. And, and, then, and then they keep growing. So this is a huge church. They meet in there. They take over the temple, if you will. They're worshiping together. They're praying together. They're, they're, they're you know, hearing messages from Peter or John or James. I mean, it's incredible. What a highlight service. They get together in a larger gathering. And then they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So the model of the church for community is a gathering together, but it's also small groups. It's so much in small groups is where you can really share life. It's in small groups. You can do the one another's. You can love, well love one another, forgive one another, confess to one another, pray for one another. I mean, you can only do so much of that on Sunday morning. We need to get to know each other, get involved in each other's life, to have real small groups. And so the early church, the way it was able to impact the city was large gatherings and small groups. And that's going to have been your pattern for a long time. They were praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. People saw that this was different. They saw that these people cared for the poor. They saw that there's something in them that they were created in God's image, and they wanted that. Evangelism comes really easy when you have healthy community, because people are so desperate for it. You know, that's just a thought off the top of my head. You know, this is free; it's not in my notes. Um, my dad was a bartender for a long time in this dive bar. Is, is in his terms, it was a beer joint. And, and if you know the difference, you and I probably have a lot of common. <laughs> and people would come in this, this beat up old building that smelled, and they would hang out. My dad was the greatest small group leader in the history of the, uh, the right place bar in the north side of Syracuse in the history. But he would just greet people and know all their names. They would come there and they would, they would drink themselves sick, literally. And yet they came because they wanted that taste of some kind of relationship. When you do that in a church where there's life and grace and mercy, it's so much better. That's why people, they, People favor where they see real community. And the Lord added to your number daily those who were being saved. Every day, people were getting saved. That's a pretty good church. You know, relationships centered on Jesus are best. Because there's a common purpose, there's, there's a focus, there's a, there, there's a 
a, 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 a way to live together. There is this, this grace that should flow because we each experience the grace of Jesus. Uh, I have a close friend of mine. He, he, he is now in Cambodia. He's been there the last 15 years. But he was a stranger to me in Pittsburgh. When I moved to Pittsburgh, my wife and I, we met, we went to the same church. We were kind of not really connected much. And when we, we were moving out to Los Angeles to go get trained as missionaries, we're going to the mission field. So I was asking everybody, hey, you want to come? You want to come with us and join us for, uh, we're going to do missions work and, and a squatter slum somewhere in the world. And, and I would ask everybody, and invite them, come on out, come on, you can, can live with us, we'll go to school together, we'll train, we'll get ready. We move out there. About a month out there, I get this phone call. It was, it was a landline. For those of you who don't know what that is, there used to be these phones that had this little string on it. And you had to stay right where the string was. So I walked over to it, picked it up. Oh? And then didn't tell me who it was. It was like you had a guess. And he said, hey, this is Patrick. Patrick from Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, Patrick. He said, yeah, Barb, my wife, and I, we've been praying about this. And we decided, yes, we're going to come move out with you and go on a mission trip with you. Go on a mission field with you. I was like, great. Good, you know. And like, okay, you know. Hang up. And I was like, Gwen, guess what? You know, and, 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 and we moved out and we lived in community and, and we began to love one another and learn about each other. We, we had common, our bank account was common. We literally lived together. We had kids, they, they were literally in the room at the birth of my, my kids. We, we, we went through highs and lows. And, you know, we would love going to games and yelling and arguing sports and, and, and you know, building things together and, and, and having long theological arguments. But there was a depth of friendship that was that was just natural and supernatural. And he was the one who I'd go to when I really messed up and confessed to, and he would pray for me. Patrick got me through some of the hardest things in my life. And I moved, you know, we moved to Pangog, and that didn't work. We went back and moved to Syracuse with us to plant the church. So that's kind of friendship that the kingdom can give us. Third point says, it takes commitment and work to develop great relationships. It doesn't come easy since the fall, right? Like, I'm sure you're thinking, man, I'd love to have deep friendships like that. But it's risky. It feels unsafe when we begin to expose who we really are. We want to cover up. And, and, and when we cover up, we can't connect at the depth of real friendship. People are broken. Have you ever noticed that? Like, most people I know are broken. <laughs> Yeah. Let me read you one last thing from the, the book of Hebrews, which was written really not to that early first generation of the church. Really, it's written a little bit later. Some scholars think this might have been the latest book. No one's really sure. But in one sense, they were, re they were removed from that radical beginning. And this, this writer of the Hebrews is talking, he says, you know, since Jesus has done so much for us, he's talked about all this he's done, he then says basically this, and let us then 
Consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How can you and I, as, as a community of faith, how can you and I spur each other on to grow, to, to support one another, to, to challenge one another, motivate each other to, to spiritual maturity, to faithfulness to the Word of God, to, to compassion for those outside our circle? How can we spur one another on to break down dividing walls and be people of reconciliation? How can we be there for each other to, to, to help each other, stand with each other as we pray for the sick and speak prophetic words and truth? How can we do that and say, let us consider how we can spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing. That meeting together, being around each other, taking time with each other is part of it. That we just don't build friendships up in, in, in five-minute segments after a service. It takes real engagement, real work. But, here's what he says, but encouraging one another. Encouragement is a key ingredient. Most of us feel discouraged. Most of us feel full of fear, not full of courage. We need to be encouraged, empowered. We need to be lifted up. We need to be stoked and stroked and called out. We need that from each other. And if I had, if I had more time, I could list, you know, 27 different studies. But again, it's scientists have shown that the scriptures about encouragement are so true. We need this all the more as we see the day approaching. And I don't know when the end's coming. But I know we're closer today than we were yesterday. Yeah. Amen. And we're going to be even closer tomorrow. There's a day for each of us. The day, you think about a judgment day, but there's also going to be a day where, where suddenly you get bad news from your doctor. Or you get a call in the middle of the night about a loved one. Or you, you, you get in a car accident or something catastrophic happens to you or someone in your circle. The day may look very different for each of us. But we need that encouragement. We need that relationship before the day happens. We need each other. And it takes work to build that into each other. It takes a prioritizing relationship and the community of faith. It takes, it takes risk by, by exposing ourselves, by, by putting ourselves out there. It takes effort. You don't feel like doing it. And I, I get this. I, I'm an extrovert, and you introverts are probably saying, enough already. <laughs> You don't have to do it with 27 people, introverts. I mean, introverts are energized by smaller circles. It can be a smaller circle. It doesn't have to be a huge circle. In fact, you can only do this with so many people. Now, 
about 14 years ago, something like that. I was teaching on something like this, and I came up with this idea of, of what we call tripods. Our lives are crazy, our sketches are crazy. And, and I would still be part of small groups, but I suggested maybe there's another way to do it too. Give it to other people, commit to meet with them, build deep roots around Jesus and one another. So I got this, I started this tripod. I, I invited two other people that were part of our church. One was a psychologist, brilliant guy, nice guy. Didn't know him that well. And the other guy was an executive director of the largest uh, kind of uh, uh, social service agency in Syracuse. They were part of a church. I said, hey, let's start doing this. For like the next 10 years, every three weeks, we got together. From hell or high water, we made sure we got together. We did it in a really holy place. We went to this, this kind of sports bar and we'd get rings. <laughs> And we would stay there and we'd close the place. We, we'd put three, four hours in that booth. And we would talk. We'd you know, talk about sports. We'd talk about what's going on in each other's life. We'd pray for one another. We'd be there. And, and over the next 10 years, it was 10, well, just over 10 years, we just shared life together. They helped me through crises as a leader. They, you know, they, you know, we, we helped the, the one guy through some real bumps in his marriage. We, you, the one guy, what ended up happening, one guy got, got brutally fired and, 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 you know, had to move on. That's what ended the group. Had to move. But helping him process that, being with him, we're still in contact. Those two, that depth of relationship, that encouragement. And each of you cared. I mean, as a psychologist, this guy would spend 40 hours a week caring about people's problems. Man, he needed a lot of encouragement. Leading a church. Man, there's a lot of hard things. I needed a lot of courage. Leading a, a you know, 300 employee social service agency. He needed, we just need each other to be each other's cheerleader and encouragement. And all of us who look back and say that was an incredible growing period for us, together and as individuals. We're made for community. We need each other, we need encouragement. It's scriptural as a way to live. You know what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to put this in practice right now. So here's something you won't hear in church very often. Everybody take out your phone right now. Take out your phone, everybody. If you don't have a phone, get a pen and paper, you can write it on, I guess. And on your phone, I want you to take, in a moment I'm going to pray for you, God will just bring the right person to your head. But I'm going to ask you now, in a minute, to text at least two people with some words of encouragement, or words of love to them. Just randomly, whoever it might be, could be someone close, could be someone not that close. We did this in our church, and it, people were getting responses back in the lobby. People were telling me, oh, I haven't, I reached out to somebody I hadn't heard for years, and they, they, they called me right away crying. Like, this is powerful. So, Lord, I just pray that you give us the right people right now 
to text some words of encouragement to some words of love. Amen. So go ahead. Just take a couple minutes, play a little music up here, start texting uh, encouragement.
Syracuse Vineyard probably hasn't happened at a lot of other churches. And so I would just ask you to bring a sense of your healing presence to any one of us in this room that have been hurt by the church. I ask that you bring restoration there. I ask that you, uh, Lord, begin to, to stop the pain. I pray you, you, you allow trust to begin to regrow. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us a deep sense of grace towards one another, grace towards brokenness in the church. I pray even if there's disputes or still pain between people in this room, I pray that you bring restoration between people here and now. May your power come. May your grace come. May relief come, Lord. Help us to be a people who are fully devoted to you and to your word and to your presence and to your people. May your kingdom come here, Lord, in Greensboro as it is in heaven. 